how to be successful at major gifts fundraising. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school and I'm joined today by my talented colleague, Susan Perry. Susan leads major gifts fundraising for the Indiana University Lilly Family School Philanthropy. And Susan, thanks so much for being with us. It is an absolute delight to serve alongside you as we raise funds for the School of Philanthropy. And you have so much experience and so much expertise and so much success in major gifts fundraising. All nonprofits start with the annual fund, raising dollars to pay the bills every year. What type of shift needs to happen to be successful to raise major gifts? Well, you know, as we teach in the fundraising school, uh, I, with an annual fund gift, you know, that just keeps the lights on. That just, um, you know, keeps everything going for the nonprofit. But with a major gift, it's really donor driven. It's, uh, it, it's, don it's the donor's timeline. Yeah, it could be anything from um, an hour to, uh, you know, eight, eight months to uh, 18 months for that gift to close for a major gift. And people always wonder, so how do we identify these wonderful folks? Do they just fall into our laps? No, we need to do some homework, we need to do some research. How do you identify a major gift prospective donor? With a major gift donor, normally I do my, my research and I would look in a database, I would look on the internet, uh, I would try to figure out if this donor has the capacity to make a major gift and then do my research from there. If I'm looking at my annual fund, what do I need to be looking for within my donor database to identify who might be ready to be identified as a major gift prospect? What am I looking for in my annual fund? That's a very valid question and what I would say is, has someone made a gift um, concurrently over multiple years? Mm -hmm. uh, has someone made a gift for a specific reason or some kind of a life change happened to that donor within that time frame? We're looking in our annual fund at how frequently people give, how recently they give, really at any amount, and then we do some wealth screening. What does that look like? Wealth screening is a very valuable tool for anyone in the major gift capacity. What it does, it tells you how many homes they have, how many cars, do they have an airplane, is a mm -hmm. boat titled to them? Yeah. All, all the good things that you're looking for. And then what you would also look at is what are their combined assets? And uh, wh with the wealth screening, it would also tell you what the size of a gift could be for this particular donor. And part of that is their previous charitable giving. The number one indicator of charitable giving is their previous behavior, their charitable giving to our nonprofit and to other nonprofits as well. And of course, sometimes a major gift donor, it's their first gift to the organization as sure. well. How does that come about? Sometimes I think that if a donor makes a first gift to an organization, they might be testing the organization mm -hmm. to see if they will really utilize their gift or steward their gift to the best uh, capacity that they have. Um, sometimes the donor will also volunteer with the organization and watch where that gift goes, how that gift is used. Yeah, that smaller gift and the volunteering, it's kind of like that television show, Undercover Boss. <laughs> Right? They're maybe kind of checking us out a little bit mm -hmm. with that activity. We also know that sometimes if a major donor, their first gift to the organization is the major gift, can come to us through board members and other relationships sure. that we have. Sure. So now these folks have been identified. How do we start this conversation? How do we start this cultivation? What I normally do is I do my research. I know exactly where they're coming from, where they've graduated, things of that nature. Also the wealth screening. But then I reach out to these individuals. Um, I kind of look at what their, their communication is, uh, or what they have utilized before, and steer from there. So I try to make uh, a meeting with these individuals, and then I try to engage them. Uh, engage them with the organization, engage them with the mission. How much planning goes into that first meeting? What are some of the questions 
that you're asking yourself and your colleagues? What are some of the strategies you're putting in place before these meetings start? That's a terrific question as well. Um, I do my research by asking where they have given before. Mm -hmm. Where is their philanthropic trend? Do they give to their church and to another organization? Uh, does my organization align with what they have given to before? And those are some of the questions. Also, I will ask in the office, has anyone else, do they know about this particular donor? Have they engaged with this donor? And so what about, how do I know where the meetings should happen? How do I know who else should be at this meeting? What type of, uh, you know, thinking goes into those decisions? What I normally do for the first meeting, if I'm meeting them for the very first time, is I'd like to invite both of the, the parties, um, a, a couple, a partner, mm -hmm. um, a spouse, and ask them to some neutral location. Would they like to go have a cup of coffee? Um, tell them it won't take much time. I just want to explain the, the mission and the organization to them. And there are times you get on an airplane because they winter in Florida or Arizona. What, what does that look like? How, what's, that what's just means there? that I go to where the donor is. Um, it could be that the donor uh, likes a particular small town and has a home there. You go to that donor in their own location. Now, Susan, even though fundraisers are highly relational, there still is this very first meeting. It might be the very first time mm -hmm. uh, that I meet uh, this person and other people have been invited to the meeting. Mm -hmm. Again, what, what does that meeting look like? Because it would seem once we have the relationship, I can see how it continues from one meeting to the next. Sure. But uh, what are some of those icebreakers and what are some of those things you're listening for in that first meeting? It's so funny because in my career, I've learned three things from a mentor. One of them is to talk about their family. Mm -hmm. People will always talk about their family. They will always talk about where they've traveled. They People love to travel. Mm -hmm. And then people will always talk about themselves. What is their career path? How did they get into their career? Did it take a, a, a shift or a change at some point in their lifetime? So those are three questions that I always bring up in the first meeting. And it just seems to kind of break the ice. It seems to get the donor to, to talk. And it seems to put us on, the, on an even playing field. What about hobbies or, or interests? I know, for example, you've cultivated a gift for somebody very interested in history, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. how, how do those types of things come up? Those types of things come up with communication. Mm -hmm. You talk to the donor. You ask questions about um, what, what are some things they like to do on the weekend? Where are some things they like to study? Uh, do they like a particular concert, a particular type of music, or something of that nature? And then just kind of see where that leads, sure. which might just be interesting to know about the person or could inform the gift. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so if you have someone that's very interested in history, as we talked about before, you kind of look at your organization. Are there any types of programs that this donor would be interested in? So again, we're talking about major gift fundraising, and especially distinctions from annual fund fundraising. Annual fund, it's on your timeline. It's in that one year period. You need to pay your bills. Uh, oftentimes, you're you know, suggesting an amount. Major gift fundraising, this is on the donor's timeline. A lot of times for the donor's reason, still, of course, consistent with your mission. We can't have mission drift. And the donor is helping to determine the amount. Susan, when it comes time uh, for the reason for the gift, mm -hmm. as a fundraiser, are you suggesting reasons? Is the donor coming to you uh, with ideas on how this gift can be utilized? A little bit of both. What have you seen in your experience? I've seen both. Uh, it just depends on how savvy the donor is. If the donor is aware of your organization and the mission, maybe they might suggest a certain track 
or it's really up to you to try to bring things and ideas to them uh, and programs to them as to where they might have an interest and where their dollars would make the most sense for them. So as we're planning that initial meeting and as we're getting to know the prospect better, we might have a few ideas in our hip pocket, sure. but also staying flexible if the donor starts suggesting ideas mm -hmm. to us. Mm -hmm. What about timing? How long does this take before it, a gift is made? As I said, it could take anywhere from an hour up to 18 months. Uh, it's really as donor dependent. And uh, some people say 18 months is too long. It just depends on the donor and what their timeline is. It could be that they are going to sell their company in a year. You need to look at what are some of the other environments that might be affecting that donor and their gift. And how do you know, we get this question all the time when we teach the Major Gifts Fundraising course at the Fundraising School, how do you know when it's time to make the ask? I think you will know because you are the one that's working with the donor. You will know when the questions might seem to not be as, as important to the mm -hmm. donor. You will know uh, just by the temperament of the donor. And uh, sometimes you can kind of tip your toe in the water and, and kind of make some, some indications that you would like to ask them to support a particular project. So you see maybe the conversation isn't advancing new ground. We've come ready, it's time for the solicitation, or maybe you do put a little flyer out there to see, see if they're ready. So the gift has been made. Do we have a written gift agreement? What is your recommendation in that we regard? We do. We do have a written gift agreement here at Indiana University, and we would um, put some specific language into that gift agreement, which would talk about the donor, talk about the gift, why the gift is important, and then uh, that gift agreement needs to be signed by the uh, leadership here at Indiana University as well as the dean. And that is just so there's no misunderstanding. This is a major commitment by the donor. Uh, and sometimes, you know, staff move on, things mm -hmm. change, and we want to make sure it's all in writing so everybody's on the same page. Uh, also, when we do major gift fundraising, it's not always cash. Nonprofits need to be ready in a major gift context mm -hmm. to accept wealth. What advice do you have in that regard? I, I say that you know we can accept, uh, as the Lilly Family School, any type of gift that the donor would like to give within certain reason. Mm -hmm. um, we can accept you know if there's a, a very valuable piece of art that can be appraised and there can be a value put on that gift. That could be accepted if it's, if it's approved by the university. Uh, you can also do a, um, a bequest mm -hmm. upon a death. Or you can also do a deferred gift where uh, a charitable deduction would be coming to that particular donor at a certain age. And then those uh, distributions could be captured and brought to the gift. It could be also uh, appreciated stock. Mm -hmm. It could be land. I know in some of our rural areas, it can be crop, mm -hmm. livestock. We've heard in some areas, you know, in Kentucky, somebody told me racehorse uh, was a gift one time. Uh, so what do you do if you're that nonprofit? Make sure you're set up. Maybe you have people on your board who can help you with that. Obviously, you can go to an attorney. Uh, when you're shopping for a bank and say, hey, we might get stock gifts. Can you help us with that? Uh, again, even if you're paying fees for those services, you're still coming out of ahead because in terms of major gifts, people often like to give wealth, not just their cash. And then, you know, Susan, then it's not over. And, mm -hmm. and we've heard this so often uh, from major gift donors here who visit our school. There's this whole issue of stewardship. We're yes. not done with this relationship after the gift has happened. In fact, it's a major complaint of some donors that they don't hear from us. Again, what advice and guidance do you have for us related to stewardship? I would say that is probably one of the most important pieces next to getting the gift. Stewardship is how the donor is going to feel after they've given that gift. And there could be an additional gift following the first gift. So I always try to engage the donor, send them um, snippets of what is happening at the organization. 
uh, I have a particular donor who uh, endowed scholarships. And so I uh, asked the students who received that scholarship to either post a video, send them a note, something that shows that they are welcomed here at the university and that they are very much appreciated. And of course, stewardship is just the right thing to do. It's treating the donor with human dignity and it's not just you know moving along after the gift has been made. And of course, good stewardship can lead to gifts in the future. Not always, it's not guaranteed, and again, the most important reason is treating that donor with the dignity that they deserve. Well, you can see in here why Susan Perry is such an expert at major gifts fundraising, and you know, the advice that she provided throughout this podcast is consistent with what we teach in our major gifts fundraising course at the fundraising school. We have 20 public courses total, uh, five of them add up to the Certificate in Fundraising Management, four of them lead up to the Certificate in Fundraising Leadership. We also have a Certificate in Nonprofit Management, and a new certificate in college sports fundraising. Our public courses are offered in 18 cities across the United States. Our custom training goes across the world and can be tailored for your nonprofit, your association, and your region. We have quarterly webinars and, of course, these free podcasts. All the information is available on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. I'm Bill Stanjakovich, and now you are now more up to date on this first day from the fundraising school.